Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Welcome back to another episode of Tree Talking Time. This episode's going to be a little different. Uh, this episode, it's just me. Never done this before. And trust me, I don't plan to do it too often. Uh, if you have not listened to a lot of my podcasts, you will notice that I don't tend to talk a lot. And that's kind of the way I like it. Talking while on these podcasts is not my favorite thing. Especially when I go to edit. I hate to have to hear my voice play back, so that's part of it. Um, and at the same point, I don't necessarily think that I'm the smartest or most qualified person to talk to you. I think that there's a lot more interesting people out there. I'm kind of just a normal guy that has some mediocre dogs that pleasure hunts. Um, I've never been any sort of high-stakes competitions. I'm not a, an accomplished big-game hunter. Um, you know, I've had a couple squirrel dogs, a couple coon dogs, a dog that would chase a bear here and there. Um, nothing profound by any means. So that's why often I don't do a lot of talking, but throughout this, this podcast, I've, I've kind of given a lot of my story in bits and pieces. And then I, I still find myself when talking to people giving them more of it because, you know, they might've heard a little piece of it here or there, but I've never sat down and really kind of given my whole story on my, my background and, and how I came to, to be a podcaster, which is kind of an odd thing to say. And sometimes I still question, am I really a podcaster? <laughs> so it's kind of what I figured I'd, I'd kind of cover this week. Um, I'm getting ready to go to youth nationals, uh, for UKC this weekend. And, I kind of need to have something while I am plan on recording a lot of podcasts this weekend, at least uh, two or three, I shouldn't say a lot, that's, but a couple that I think will be really good that you'll get to hear next month. Uh, I kind of need to get something ready. So that way when I get back, it it's done, especially with being gone for a couple of days. So, and uh, I was supposed to record one tonight with somebody else uh, and I'm, we're still going to try to work that out so that, that they get to come on, but just tonight didn't work out. So you're stuck with me. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm Ben Sheets. I'm the host of this podcast. And now I've now been releasing podcast, recording and releasing podcasts for about two years. It started. Uh, I mean, it was even longer than two years ago when it started, kind of with an idea. Um, I called W Hunting Supply, not knowing Buddy or Jason, uh, never talking to them. You know, I had bought some stuff from there, but never knew them or anything. But I called them, and uh, I talked to Jason and, and literally just kind of asked him if he thought there was space, kind of gave him what I was looking to do and he's like yeah I think there is and it kind of snowballed from there and I ended up releasing the podcast with them for a little while kind of just get my my toes wet and and seeing if it was something I really wanted to do before I committed to it so but before we get too far into the podcast and how it kind of came to be I figured I'd give you a little more 
backstory about me. So I have currently a couple of leopards, a leopard hound, plot hound cross. He looks like a red bone. Everyone swears he is. If you follow me on any sort of social media, you will, you've probably seen him. Uh, his name is Rio. I take a lot of photos of him, and uh, it's just because he's the best dog I own right now. So he's the one <laughs> that I, I pack the most. And then because of the podcast, I am talking to Steve Block. I got a Faulkner Kerr. She is about a year old. Uh, by the time this comes out, she will, her birthday is like the first week of August. So it'll become, she'll be almost a year old by the time this comes out. And I'm not a super hard hunter. And honestly, this podcast is kind of even cut into my hunting. And so for what sh- sh- the exposure, sh- for the exposure that she's had, I'm very pleased with her. She's not afraid of the dark. She's not afraid to get gone. She's seen a coon. She got fired up over it. When it went above her head, she treed on it. Um, now, earlier in the season, and that was kind of this spring. Now, early in the season, she was a little younger. You know, hunting, just taking her with me when I was hunting, you know, my other dogs. Um, at a tree or anything, just really wasn't super interested. Um, but that was before she'd seen a coon. So she's seen one, and uh, I, th- I think this season just going to take her, and I think we should probably be pretty good, and I think things will start clicking this year. I'm excited to see her kind of progress and, and see where that goes. But once again, that that's a little bit who I am now and uh, where I'm at today, but let's kind of roll that back and, you know, early childhood, you know, a lot, some, a lot of these guys I've had on the podcast, they talk about... They got started when they were super young and, you know, dads, grandpas, uncles, getting them involved. And that's not my story. I I really wish it was. I was obsessed with dogs as a kid. Um, I had many, many dog books. Um, A lot of dog breed books. Um, I could tell you a lot of breeds that were... AKC registered and non-AKC registered, kind of the history of those breeds, where they came from, and that's where I kind of started finding different breeds that I was interested in, and at some point or another, I was interested in almost every kind of working dog. Working dogs always seem to have a strong pull, and they still do, uh, even beyond the hunting dogs um, and the tree dogs. I think it would be awesome to own you know, a really good herding dog. I think it would be awesome to own, you know, a team of sled dogs. I I am very enamored by that. And, uh, I've had some talks with Bear Sargusa who does the hunting hound with, uh, W and, you know, he's, he's got a lot of that experience in the sled dog world. And, and I kind of, we've talked a little bit about that and how at one point I went deep into wanting a a team of sled dogs. And so I've kind of, you know, went down each little rabbit hole as a kid, wanting this, that, and the other. And hunting dogs always spoke to me. In uh, episode 71, The Foundation, you you know, if you listen to that, I talked to a guy named Charlie Thorup. Charlie uh, was a neighbor of ours, and, and he had beagles, and he had bird dogs. And a lot of the the reason I really wanted a hunting dog was was because of Charlie and spending that time there living next to him and I 
I don't want to say I helped him, but, you know, I kind of helped, you know, take care of those dogs some. And, you know, as a kid, I really wasn't much help, but I just kind of was around and I would just go with him and, and taking care of those dogs every day. And that's where a lot of the desire to have a hunting dog came from. Charlie was not a coon hunter. He uh, was very adamant about not getting a coon hound, despite my me trying to convince him and but his wife Anne who uh, was also on the podcast she she told me some stories about coon hunting and and coon hunting off of mules and they rent her her and her former husband had uh had some blue ticks and so and then a couple years later their neighbor who had the beagles um got some coon hounds and he'd had hounds all his life but then had Transitioned to beagles as he had gotten older, but then he ended up with some squirrel dogs too. And when I was in high school, his name was Larry Mahaffey, and and Larry took me squirrel hunting with a little mountain feist when I was a senior in high school. I had went over to visit Ann and Charlie at one point, and usually if I went over there, I'd go over to Larry's as well. Larry came out. He uh, was like, "Do you know what that is?" And I said, "I think it's feist." And he's like, yep. And so, uh, you know, I asked him if it was, she was a good squirrel dog. And he said, yeah, she's a really good squirrel dog. Uh, you know, I haven't really hunted her a lot. I don't have a lot of places to hunt anymore. And I worked on a dairy farm. So I was like, I have a place to hunt if you want to go. You know, I'd, I'd love to go with and see her. So we arranged, you know, a couple of days later to, that we went out. And uh, that was the first time I had ever actually went hunting um with you know a gun in my hand and actually was able to kill a couple squirrels out to that little dog that probably hadn't been in the woods hardly at all that season and that's all it took really i was i was already bitten by the bug before i ever went out in the woods with that dog but going out in the woods with that dog just solidified it and her name was cat she was a little black and tan cadillac jack bread mountain feist after that like i said i was a senior in high school i contacted a guy that i found on his his website off of squirrel dog central and he was about a half an hour from the college i was going to and going way back to one of the early episodes my mentor uh mike deaton is who it was, and, you know, I or I was actually trying to buy a dog, and I, a part of me wanting to buy a dog, my parents were like, where are you going to keep this dog when you go to college? And I was like, well, I'll find somewhere. So that was actually the whole reason I contacted Mike, was to basically try and board a dog while I was in school. <laughs> and uh was on the phone with Mike the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And Mike's like, don't buy a dog. If you want to hunt with dogs, just come here and hunt with mine. There's no need to pay me or or anybody, for that matter, to board a dog, pay for dog food, have to worry about a dog. He's like, just come hunt. I've got plenty of dogs. So that was early in the summer. About the middle of the summer, I had to go out to the school for some placement testing. And so I, that's what, when I did that, 
we went over and we, me and my dad, we went and met Mike. And, you know, nice enough guy. Mike's not a, a warm and fuzzy guy at first. And, you know, it was a little, he was nice, but it still wasn't, wasn't somebody that I met right away and was like, this man's going to be like a, like my dad. And it, it took a little while, even after I moved out there and I started hunting with him, but it didn't take super long. And, and pretty soon me and Mike were, were really close and I started going over there and doing anything and everything with Mike. Like I fixed a boat trailer, you know, he had a little farm and I worked on his farm. We put fence up and built horse stalls. And so pretty soon I was at his house pretty frequently, regardless of whether it was dog related or something else. And, uh, I'm still very close with Mike. And like I said, he, he's like another dad to me. He's, I still talk to him fairly regularly, and I was just out when I went to Black and Tan Days. I made sure I went and visited him. You know, we didn't go hunting or anything, but just went over to visit. So, but Mike's is where I kind of got an education, and Mike had some pretty decent dogs. Mike had lost his hunting partner the year before. Before I moved out there. And. So he had inherited. All of. His hunting partner. Howard's dogs. So he tried to slim down. Between Howard and and Mike. I don't know how many they had total. Originally. But when I got there. There was probably. Still 10 or 12 dogs there. And. You know. Varying from. Young started dogs to mm, eight, nine, ten year old dogs, you know, some older dogs. With not a lot really in between. A lot of them, like I said, were that between eight and ten, and and then a lot on the other end, you had a lot of year old to two or three year olds that were started, but not really good finished dogs. Just they had so many dogs between the, the two of them and and life and everything. So while I was there, I hunted a lot of those young dogs. And I kind of got an education while hunting those young dogs. You know, I was just taking those young dogs to the woods. You know, I hunted the older dogs too, but I put a lot of time in there. There's a male and a female that I put a lot of time into. And then I ended up getting a pup my first year of college, and she ended up not working out. Um, I I don't know what it is. I have the absolute worst luck with her. I'm just the worst dog trainer in the world. But she had no natural ability, um, was very uninterested. Um, if it was on the ground, she was all about it. The minute it, it was out of sight, she lost interest. And so, by the time she was a year old, I kind of, kind of knew that she wasn't going to make it. And I kind of started looking, and it was probably the next spring. So she was like a year and a half by the time I ended up 
getting another pup. And by the time I got him, I it was right before I moved home. And when I moved home, it was almost like I lost interest. Just I didn't have the woods like where I live. It's a lot of pri- it's all private ground. There's really not a lot of public ground. I didn't really know where any of the public ground was because it's it's not easy to find. What little bit of public ground we have around here is not owned by the state. Most of it, it's a lot of it's it's managed as game lands, but it's not necessarily game lands, or it's like land trust and stuff like that. Where yes, you might be able to hunt it, but you have to go find all this information and. And I just didn't know where to look. You know, being fairly new to hunting and the hunting that I did do in Ohio, Mike, I just hunted Mike's spots. I hunted with Mike and he had a lot of places to hunt and especially right there around his house. Like I could hunt across the road from his house. I could hunt behind his house by myself and I knew those couple spots pretty well. So when I got home, it was hard. And it actually took me a couple of years, and what kind of relit the fire in me was is getting involved in my local coon hunters club, and just that interaction with other coon hunters. I didn't think anything of it, but just going to that monthly meeting and and meeting these local coon hunters, and and part of that was that them educating me on where I could hunt. Um, there's a pit. It's not big, but it's a couple thousand thousand acres, which for around here is decent size. Um, chunk of land that it's around a lake, and it's not far from me at all. And I found out that I could hunt that. I never knew. Um, so just finding out stuff like that really kind of helped get me back into it. Around this time, um, I lost that young dog that I had gotten right before I, I finished school. And I bought some great gur dog, you know. <laughs> Once again, I called Mike, and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a dog. He's like, all right, let me see what I can do. He ran into a, a guy at a, out and about and said, hey, would you happen to know of anybody that has, you know, a cur dog for sale that can tree a coon. The guy said, yeah, it just so happened my brother does, and it's at my house. And So Mike went and hunted the dog, and she looked really good for Mike. And I said, I asked him, I said, would you buy the dog? He said, if I was looking for a dog, I'd buy her. I said, all right, sending the money. This was probably in October, probably. Yeah, end of October. Sending the money, and I said, buyer. So he did, brought her home. I went out opening weekend of coon season, went to go hunt with him, and uh, we turned that dog loose. And she took off, but just didn't hunt. Slick treed some, but even wouldn't even wouldn't hold a tree half the time if she did tree. Um, the couple times we went in, she just looked awful. At one point, she just went running. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, I was a little upset. But 
the guy that had sold the dog to Mike wouldn't, you know, he was, he was a horse trader, dog trader, and Mike tried to get, get him to buy the dog back, and he, and he wouldn't. Him and Mike had some words. <laughs> and, uh, but regardless, Mike felt bad and was, he was willing to keep the dog and try to make things right. And I'm like, no, you know, I told you to buy the dog. I, I'll take her. I said, I'll hunt her. We'll see what happens. I'm like, she treated you coon. So I'm like, we know she can do it. Why she's not now, I don't know. So I kept her for a little while. About a month later, maybe a month and a half, I went hunting with some of the guys at my local at the local coon hunters club, and she fell in there. Treed looked good. Well, she hunted pretty good all night, and finally they made the tree. And like I said, they had the coon. And after that day, it was like a completely different dog. And I would say Maggie is what really is what really pushed me to become a, a, a coon hunter in my own right, on my own. You know, I, I coon hunted a lot with Mike, but those weren't my dogs. It wasn't I wasn't coon hunting on my own. You know, there was a time or two that I did, but majority of the time I was either with Mike or I had a couple friends that, from school that would come with me every now and again, and they would go coon hunting with me. We And we would hunt Mike's dogs and stuff, but... Um, there, Maggie's what really made me a coon hunter. Maggie taught me a lot. Maggie, I will, I will always have a special place for Maggie. And, you know, just a great fat little butterball of a, of a cur dog that I have no idea what she was. She kind of had thick, longer hair. Um, she had been spayed, so she carried a lot of. She carried some extra weight, regardless. Like, even if I could get her thin, she always carried a lot of extra weight in her belly. And uh, she kind of had a a thin tail that kind of curled up over her back, little little bit of a flag tail. Like I said, a thick coat. I mean, you'd almost think she had some border collie or, or something like that in her, just by her coat and her head stri- head shape. Um, predominantly white dog with some brindle patches. Like I said, no idea what she was, where she came from. But I'd take another one like her, that's for sure. Had a real high-pitched squall mouth, and it was pretty funny. She, uh, she put some clinics on some hounds a couple times. Uh, most notably... Uh, one of the guys I hunt with pretty regularly, he's got some blue ticks, and uh, there was times that, where she would at least hold her own, if not look better than them, and those were always good, real good nights. I, I always enjoyed those, you know, because most people, they they underestimated the little fat cur dog, <laughs> and so when she'd show up and uh, look look just as good, if not better than those hounds, it was it made me proud, that's for sure. So, being a member of this Coon Hunters Club and having a cur dog, you know, I couldn't compete in any of the events. And 
you know, we'd have some buddy hunts and stuff and big coon contests, but I couldn't participate in any of our night hunts. So my idea was, uh, I'd get some leopards and I, I liked cur dogs. Um, I, I think most people listening to this are no stranger to the fact that I like a good cur dog. And so I went and some found some cur type leopards and it, I had a couple. Well, actually the first one I had wasn't really a cur type, but it, that one was just, uh, somebody local had him and he wasn't suiting them. So I tried him and he didn't suit me either. So that's when I went out and actually found some cur type leopards that I was really looking for. And they came from a, a line of big game dogs. And the first one I got just didn't seem to make a coon dog. He ended up going on to make a hog dog. Um, but just coons weren't his thing. And, but through that line of dogs, I met my friends, Chris and Aaron. Aaron had a couple of dogs that, that were related. And that's how I ended up going to West Virginia and bear hunting um, with Chris. And that's, I was able to kill a bear, you know, the first weekend that I went bear hunting the second, it was the second day. And uh, I'll probably recap that story very soon because I will be recording a podcast with Chris and Aaron. So you might have to stay tuned for that one. <laughs> I won't spoil that one too much, but, uh, that's kind of what bit got me bitten on bear hunting. And if I lived in West Virginia, I can guarantee I'd probably have a pack of bear hounds because there's nothing like it for all you guys out there that are squirrel hunters or coon hunters and have never treed a bear or a mountain lion or, you know, a big game animal. It's just a different adrenaline rush when you go into that tree and there's a big bear up there. And while I've never seen a cat, I would imagine it's really similar. About this time, um, you know, I was watching some YouTube channels and, uh, you know, Kirk Price was killing it, making, you know, bear hunting content for the untamed. And I thought, man, that's awesome. Let me get a camera and uh, let me try to do that. And that's kind of what kicked me off into the hound hunting media, uh, creation, content creation, you know, photo video. I'd played with some cameras in high school. I did some video editing. Well, and when I say cameras, it was all video cameras. It was never, uh, like a DSLR for photos or anything like that. So I didn't really have a lot of experience with that. Now I did, when I lived in Ohio, I did have a couple of little point and shoot cameras, digital cameras. Because I always liked taking good photos. And that was around the time, you know, f cell phones started having cameras. But even then, they, the cell phone cameras just weren't that great. And even today, they're, while they're much, much, much better, I still don't tend to care for them. So, especially now. But that's kind of where I picked the camera up and decided I wanted to kind of document some of these hunts and it wasn't that I wanted to do it professionally or, or for a living or for anything like that. It was just at the end of the day, I can look back and have some 
good quality videos and, and photos of my own dogs. And, you know, I can pass that on to my kids. And, and even for myself, like, in 10 years from now, I could look back on that. And, you know, like I said, that female Maggie, all I have of her is some cell phone quality photos and videos. And I really wish I would have had my cameras when I had her because I would love to have some really good quality photos of her. But I don't. So, and and I know for some people, like, they don't care. But it's something I really do like is is having a really nice, you know, having some really good pictures and really good videos of of these dogs that mean so much to us. And so kind of that how it got started was, is, like I said, was video was my, my main mindset and my, what I thought I wanted to do. And while I still like video and I still want to, and actually would like to pursue that a little bit more, what I realized is the difficulty of trying to video, like record video of a hunt that I'm an active participant on. Having dogs in the hunt, trying to handle dogs, trying to, you know, when I would bear hunt, like trying to turn dogs loose, trying to help and trying not to be a hindrance. It's very hard to do both. And I've given Clayton Stark some major props because... I don't know how he does it. I The reason I quit doing it is because I wasn't happy with the result I was getting. And so I was just like, forget this. But I'm like, I bought this camera, so I might as well just pack it to a tree and I can take some pictures. And that's kind of what got me down the photo tra- you know, route. And so that's... I guess that was around 2020. I think 19, like the fall of 2019 is when I got my camera. Well, yeah, somewhere in there. Fall of 19, spring of 20 is when I started. Well, I started taking a camera to the woods with me. So, and here I am, you know, like I said, I'm about to go to youth, UKC Youth Nationals, and I'm the photographer this weekend. It's not something I would have ever thought five years ago that I'd be going to a major UKC event to take photos for UKC. So I'm I'm very blessed, and I'm I'm not saying I'm a professional photographer by any means. I'm still learning. Um, but I've learned to take a decent picture of a dog. <laughs> so and I've been very blessed to have quite a, a couple of photos on magazine covers at this point. Um, uh, I've had one cover of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, uh, one cover of Bear Hunting Magazine, two covers on uh, a Full Cry, two covers of Coonhound Bloodlines. So, you know, I've a number of pictures in those magazines as well. So, it's it's been a crazy journey um and podcasting kind of just was another part of it uh you know 
like I said in the beginning, you know, I called Jason up. I had an idea. My idea was, you know, there's a, there was a couple guys that I wanted to talk to that I wanted podcast recorded with. And I and they were, you know, no name nobodies to to the vast majority of, you know, of the public, but there were people that I really respected. There were people that I really enjoyed talking to. There were people that I enjoyed listening to their stories. And I can tell you what, the the one has prob he's the most his podcast is the most downloaded podcast I have. I still get, you know, messages and people telling me to this day that they really like his podcast more than anything else. And that's Uncle Wayne Hensley. Uncle Wayne is just a character that everyone has thoroughly enjoyed and and that's what like he was one of the reasons I I wanted to get into the podcasting because I wanted to be able to record that and I wanted to be able to to share that because like I said he he he's brought me so much joy just talking to him and and his friendship and you know just like I said the stories that that man has you know, I don't know it's hard to explain sometimes, or at least it is for me. I'm not somebody that does a lot of talking, but it means a lot to have people that are meaningful to me to be able to go back and listen to these things later. That's, that's why I've, I've done podcasts with people that aren't necessarily the world champions, that aren't necessarily well-known. The world, for the last, you know, didn't know who Charlie Thorpe was. The majority of the world didn't know who Mike Deaton was. They didn't know who Wayne Hensley was. Now Wayne was was is pretty well known in his neck of the woods, but outside of you know his area, his area of Virginia, most people had never heard of him. But those are those are podcasts that I'm gonna cherish forever. I've been able to bring my son on here and record him talking about the dogs at, you know, just shy of six years old. When he's 26 years old, he's going to be able to go back and listen to that. And so this podcast has been a great thing for me personally. And I've had a great time talking to a lot of people that I never would have talked to. Um, Daryl Fry. I would have never called Daryl Fry had it not been for this podcast. And, you know, I just had a, I just went and recorded that podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. You know, yeah, I drove six hours round trip to go meet him, but I stayed up at his son's house for six hours talking to him and then him and his son. And we had a great visit and a great time just sitting there talking dogs and hunting and life and, you know, anything and everything. And that's what I, this podcast has brought to my life is is a lot of a lot of great people a lot of great connections and even people that i've never had on the podcast the listeners there's a number of listeners that i've become friends with because you know they message me about the podcast and they say hey man this one was really good i really like this or that or 
I want to hear some more about, you know, this topic or this person, or, you know, I've had a lot of great suggestions as well. And there's a lot of, there's a number of people that have come on the podcast that I wouldn't have known or I would have never thought of, or I would have never had their, their, their contact information had it not been for, you know, suggestions and, and people calling in or messaging me or, you know, in some way contacting me saying, Hey, this person would be really, what really good guest. So I really appreciate that. Um, and as I kind of wrap this up, I, I just kind of want to say thank you. Um, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to all the people that have purchased shirts. Um, on W's website. They are still available. Uh, it's W hunting supply or D U hunting supply.com. And then it's under the podcast and it is the D U podcast and partners. And then you go to podcast apparel where my shirts and Brett Vaughn's shirts are available. So I appreciate everyone that's purchased those. Um, most people probably don't realize this, but this podcast does cost me money to host it every month. Um, this podcast takes a lot of time. I'm usually in my office three to four hours a week between recording and editing, uploading, and then a lot of hours, you know, lining up guests. So, I do appreciate the people that have supported me. There, you know, I, I do have a Patreon, but I've never, all the Patreon is is for, is for people, a way for people to donate um, and support the podcast. There's no extra content there. I would love to do some more. It's just not something I have time to to really devote a lot of extra resources to at this point. I would love to maybe down the road provide people with some some value and some some extra content there. And we might do that. And I hope by the end of the year to to do a big giveaway for all the people that have supported me. You guys are the, the backbone of this podcast. There's, there's a number of people that, that share the podcast every week or fairly regularly, and I really appreciate those guys and, and ladies that do that. It means a lot. I love hearing from you guys messaging me or commenting on the post and, you know, what you like, what you don't like. What You know, a lot of this podcast is is very much what I like. Um, and the content and the guests are, are a reflection of that. But I still like to hear what you guys like as well. Because, you know, I, I'm, I do this just as much for myself as for everyone listening. But I still do want to make sure that people want to listen. Because otherwise, it's, there's no point. So. Which kind of brings me into my last point, and that is this podcast is going to change a little bit. 
there are um, you're going to start hearing some ads, and we we kind of circle back to this does cost me some money. It does cost me some time, and the ads are going to kind of help pay for that. And the, there's some companies that are wanting to come on on board, and I really appreciate those companies. And probably next next week, after you know, if, if you're listening to this when it comes out, next week is when you, those ads are going to start rolling out. So there's at least one right now, and, and there's a couple more that are in the works that that are possible. So, and you know, talking about advertisers, W is, has supported me with the shirts, and I really appreciate Buddy and Jason for all their help throughout all of this. I don't know where this podcast with, would be without them. Um, you guys don't see and hear the conversations I kind of have on a fairly regular basis with Jason kind of about the podcast and, and how all of this ties together and, and all the support that they've given me. So I do really appreciate those guys out there as well. So I think this is a, a long enough monologue. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't plan on this being a regular thing. I really do appreciate all, all the listeners and everyone that supports this podcast. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber. <laughs>